Hello. Welcome back to Rainbow Speaks. Rainbow Stage's first and only official Rainbow Stage podcast. I am your host, Kara Joseph. I'm your other host, Quinn Joseph. We are not brother and sister. We are. You can't keep saying that. I we just... Are, what, you don't want to be brother and sister? I was or? just thinking that we could try something new. Like what? Like work friends? <laughs> Colleagues? I don't know. Maybe I want to do a little weather small talk at the water cooler before we jump into, we're best friends. I never said we're best friends, podcast. but we are brother and sister regardless. We're of... not best friends. Oh, no. I mean, we can be. Dead, I'm I'm serious. Daphne, stop the podcast. No, you don't. No. Are we <laughs> don't not stop. best friends? Don't stop the podcast. This is fine. Are we I not? think we're best friends. Are we best friends? I was under the impression that we were best friends. <laughs> of course we're best friends. See? Yeah. I don't feel that comforted, but... You're my best friend, and so are you at home. For the next hour, You're we're all best friends, I guess we? you could say that. Yeah. So, Kara, how's it, how's it going? How are things going in your life? Oh, good. I've got lots of things going on that I can't talk about right now, so... <laughs> <laughs> Great, but things are happening, yes, right? Yes, but I do want to talk about you. Why? You have something special coming up that once this episode is out, everyone will know. Yeah, this will have happened, so I can fully say mm-hmm. I will have proposed to my current partner wow of seven and some years gosh about time huh hey that's you sound like her (laughs) (laughs) but yes yeah and so we're doing a whole big thing uh i'm like i wrote her a song there's a fake play that she's gonna attend that ends with me singing her a song and asking her to be my wife so if this part is still in the episode, and um, when you watch it, she'll have said yes. She will have said yes. If, if it's cut, she'll have said no. And you won't know. <laughs> so, so there it is. It's, it's really exciting yeah, to find I'll out. I'll have a ring on this finger or however that works. Anyway, um, maybe we should jump into Let's jump into the episode. episode. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess without further ado, let's get speaking. So today's topic is indigeneity and musical theater. Indigenous peoples in Canada have a rich history of storytelling, song, and dance. Because of course they do. Any cultural groups and or nations are in part defined by their artistic tradition. So, of course, the cultural groups as enduring and long-standing as the various Indigenous peoples in this country have a multitude of stories, dances, and pieces of music that represent their beliefs and values. I'm sure you're thinking, duh, obviously Indigenous peoples have artistic traditions, but have you ever wondered why you never hear those traditions being told on stage in a musical theatre format? The ingredients of story and song and dance are so perfect for musical theatre. And yet, in doing my research for this podcast, I searched for Canadian Indigenous musical theatre and was met with only a handful of results. That is, Corey Payette's Children of God. Corey Payette and Julia McIsaac's La Fille du Roi, or Starwalker by, you guessed it, Corey Payette. Which, by the way, are all beautiful from what I've heard and seen, but it made me question, how could this be? How can there only be a handful of indigenous musicals? And how can they all be seemingly by one person? Maybe it's a lack of interest from indigenous creators. Maybe it's a lack of resources for indigenous creators. Maybe it's being told that there's a lack of interest from the mainstream theater community. Maybe it's a history of being marginalized, silenced by mainstream theater communities. And maybe, just maybe, whatever the cause, it's all about to change. 
Because right now, there are more initiatives to get Indigenous stories on stage, to get Indigenous students involved in theater, and to provide resources for Indigenous peoples to create than I have ever seen in my, albeit short, lifetime. And to talk to us about what it means to be an Indigenous artist right now, as well as the cross-section of indigeneity and musical theater, we have with us Julia Davis and Seraph Eden Boroditsky. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the digital studio. Yeah. Rainbow Stages digital studio. Yeah. Very have, uh, nice and professional. Yes, yeah, we've got you. cameras lighting a whole crew. Say hi, crew. Hi, crew. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. And they're funny. <laughs> Um, it's so nice to have both of you. We know you, but the people at home might not. So if you would be willing, would you give them a little bit of an introduction to who you are as a person, maybe who you are as a theater artist? Um, my name's Julia. I am an Inuk artist. I've lived in Winnipeg my whole life. Um, I was born in Churchill. I was adopted when I was a baby. Uh, yeah, I've lived in Winnipeg my whole life. Um, started singing, dancing at quite a young age. I went through the Faculty of Music at the U of M, studied classical voice. Kara was also there. Yes, I was. <laughs> I wasn't there. Well, it's yeah. okay. Well, well, maybe we can share a moment without everyone chiming <laughs> in. Maybe. We'll maybe, one. just yeah, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then I did the Village Conservatory program for musical theater. I have been recently um, doing some contracts with some of the theater companies in the city, Rainbow Stage. That's one. We do have a running joke where we have to say the name Rainbow Stage a number of times before Daphne gives us the thumbs up. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for throwing it out there. That was one. I'm doing a contract right now with MTYP. Yay! Yeah. Um, Huge fans uh, of MTYP <laughs> here as well. Yeah. Yes. I've um, <laughs> dipped my toes in at composing within the past couple years, um, which has been really cool. Very cool. And I will say, on Rainbow Stage, you played uh, Toto. Yes. Uh, you also do you understudy Dorothy, is that correct? Yes, I yeah. did. So you had uh, a lot of hats wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just feel like we need to say and give you a From huge the, shout out. From right off the bat. Yeah. We, if the world needs to know if you didn't see Julia's Toto was the greatest uh, experience ever. I just want to say such a wonderful, like, I don't know how to describe it uh, in terms of, like, I don't know if you are a puppeteer uh, going into this experience. I know. I guess maybe now. I don't know. I have heard from every person who's seen the show. They're like, great show. My favorite was Toto. <laughs> really? Liter- yeah. I'm not joking. Aww. Like, everyone, and I have to agree, so... That's so kind. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. I just thought we needed to, I, we needed to fangirl a little bit. Yeah, off that, yeah. Off the Give top. you your flowers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Seraph. Yeah, my name is Seraph, and I am uh, a Métis person from Winnipeg here. Went to university, the University of Manitoba, for Native Studies and Sociology, and I'm a visual artist, so who also has a background in classical dance, so ballet, tap, jazz. But uh, yeah, and also a, a lifetime of traditional Métis folk dance. And uh, I had a family group, like people would joke that we were like the Von Trapps. Oh, uh, So, which was also was also one of my favorite musicals of all time. Mm. So uh, it's really big in our house for obvious reasons. And uh, we used to sing and dance and travel around sort of the uh, Prairie Provinces and uh, Minnesota. I was young. I'm not quite sure like where on that border we were, but just <laughs> yeah. kind of all yeah. over the yeah. place for my throughout my childhood. And how I came to be in the professional theater world. There was a Winnipeg Arts Council sponsored grant uh, or fellowship created. Winnipeg Arts Council started this this fellowship, which was the Indigenous Arts Arts Leaders 
fellowship and I was the first full-time fellow uh, and I was stationed at uh, MTC um, because they wanted to start doing this kind of reconciliatory work. Mm -hmm. A lot of eclectic stuff in my life, Mm -hmm. um, but why I'm here and I know you was through that journey. Right. Um, No, it's so awesome to have you both here. In our, you know, intro, I think we sort of, it's sort of like a uh, tongue-in-cheek musing, but like for you, why... Why do you feel like there isn't a lot of Indigenous musical theater out there? Or if I'm being totally ignorant, is there a lot of Indigenous musical theater out there that I'm just missing? No, I don't think you're missing anything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all are missing lots of things. Sorry, missing it from our lives. But yes, we are. But there's, yeah, there's not a lot out there. Why? Why yeah. is I like it is? You have all the answers, right? Yeah. Can you tell yeah, us? Yeah, we why? speak for everybody. Yes. As yeah. Well. Yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah, we, we just did the last episode. Yeah. We yeah, all we, spoke for. Yeah. All, yeah. All of our, all yeah. of our cultures. We're all always a monolith. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. So, so you can answer this. <laughs> but if you have any like questions, at least for you personally, why do you think there is that lack of representation there? Is it that as clear as like the? Well, because of the hundreds of years of oppression and mm-hmm. like the the fallout from that. I feel it when I think about like the community that my birth family is from, how, how lucky I've been to. I mean, in some ways, like when I moved, when I was adopted and I moved into River Heights, Winnipeg, mm-hmm. I got all these opportunities to go to dance classes, to go to singing lessons, to, you know, all these things that there's not that same outreach or like like education, I, yeah. I guess, up resources, north. Resources, yeah. yes, yeah. resources up north in, in those communities, you know, and it's and it's expensive to fly down. It's expensive to, when everything is already so expensive to buy food and to buy yeah. everything, it's like, can you, on top of that, add lessons and, and everything? That I don't know. That, I, that's like a tiny little part of it. That's but, a pretty big part of uh, it, I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Lack of access. So it's it's yeah. interesting. I mean, we just had this conversation about like race and representation and some of these themes. Obviously, there's going to be a large crossover of one of the biggest problems that we've identified. Mm-hmm. Not that we've identified it. It's been out there. But it's like there is a huge lack of resources and yeah. availability yeah. to do these things. And I think maybe moreover, even if the resources. So I'm a person. I we took music lessons mm-hmm. uh, growing up. I didn't do singing. I didn't do dance. Any of those sorts of lessons. Uh, I didn't really get into theater until university. But I'm. I think I'm doing pretty well now, <laughs> right? Like, and and I. It's not even that you even need that basis and that level of like every week I need to be doing this dance and this singing lesson this everything but having somebody willing to even take a chance mm-hmm. to hear you or to help you on that journey yes. later on yeah. um, I think that's absolutely yeah. huge because if you have nothing how are you going to first of all know that you can get into a room because you can't you don't know that these opportunities exist and who's going to see you Who's yeah. going to invite you into the room? Because they ask for, oh, ha- what's what's your degree? Everyone is different. It, what I've learned through my like social justice work, uh, the actual, um, not the activism, mm-hmm. but advocacy and education part of it, is that all the talks about and educating people and ourselves about like intersectionality and what that is. And so because mm-hmm. we're all completely individual people who are totally informed by not just the experiences that we have, through the parents that raise us, but the way that the world interacts with us. Mm -hmm. And so if there was somebody just like me and me, then I'd go, sure, why don't I deserve it just as much as that person? (laughs) Nobody is just like me. Why isn't there representation or why aren't there more Indigenous people in musical theater or like theater in general? 
a big part of it is the access, right? And the knowing that it's even there, the why, why should it be important to people? Mm-hmm. I have done education coordination for like Prairie Theater Exchange and, and I'm with Shakespeare in the Ruins yeah. now and like trying to indigenize some of that space in some way and help them figure that out. And so it's not that there aren't kids that you can't pull into the room, but there's different needs for different people. And that's not always on racial lines. It's on an individual basis or a community basis. And so do people, specifically theaters and theater outreach departments, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word, do they understand the differences between communities of people and how to do that outreach so there's a lot of outreach into the community but those members of whatever communities they're reaching out to and it's like this doesn't speak to us at all and it doesn't meet the need we don't have needs met that make it accessible for our kids so you have a whole bunch of kids coming to downtown after school in the winter time and it gets dark an hour before Mm -hmm. they have to leave and my suggestion to that was, well, I know what we have to do. You have to fund me driving the going and picking Mm -hmm. people up and dropping them off. And it's like that gets lost on people or we understand, but we don't have the money. Yeah. And the program can't run. Yeah. Right. And it's measuring people's everybody's ability against a template that was for a very specific group of people Mm -hmm. in a very specific time. If the pandemic 2020 did anything, it was shining a spotlight on just how far afoot from each other mm-hmm. th- those uh, accessibility lines mm-hmm. are, you know. And it's interesting because there are a ton of mentorship programs uh, and opportunities for a lot of artists. And in those opportunities, they often say we're holding this space, X amount of space for BIPOC and equity see- seeking groups. But it's still within that, like you said, that template of like the people who already have the privilege and, and access can go apply. But if they don't, they haven't made it any more accessible. Just they just wrote down that you can. Those people are yeah. invited. <laughs> yeah, you're invited. But I'm not invited if I can't get there or mm-hmm. I can't do that or I can't afford the membership fee or the thing like. Yeah, and I, I say this so often whenever I speak on panels or, or, or anything when it comes to. Uh, equity in theater is the amount of unpaid mentorships for people of color or indigenous people and um, the LGBTQ community, any vulnerable underrepresented community, the amount of unpaid mentorships that people offer is, I'm just going to go ahead and say, bonkers. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. I use the B word. It's pretty strong. Um, For lack of better words, uh, for lack of more appropriate words. But what doesn't make sense is that is the problem. It's not the training. It's the access to to literal financial resources to take the training. Yes. But if instead there was a version of of training that is, here's like a mentorship program and here's a few hundred dollars to do it. And it's a little bit less uh, strict in terms of what your time commitment is. So we don't end up paying you five fifty per hour for you to come to do this thing for an honorarium of a hundred bucks or whatever. But instead, you have opportunities where you create in the in the budget in the first place. You create something that is we have set aside money to hire somebody to learn how to do what it is uh, that we do instead of 
let's get somebody to learn how to do what we it is we do by shadowing us. We don't take a pay cut. We don't have to pay them anything. And then we're upset that they're not, you know, champing Taking at that the Taking that and exactly. doing it. And, and if I'm giving them that opportunity, then why am I not seeing them now later in the community doing design or yeah. acting or whatever? Why aren't they there? I think that everything needs to be, well, I just mentioned intersectionality, but everything needs to be seen uh, as interconnected. That's a worldview that I come from and that many Indigenous people do come from and that things aren't, they don't happen by themselves. They're not separate. So even if they seem unrelated, they affect each other. They can be unrelated and still touching, you know? Yeah. That All those access points are, and then some, are the tangible and the real. The other side of that is historic lack of representation and not just the lack of representation um, and the, and the, the opposite of inclusion but what has the representation been and that a lot of indigenous uh you know filmmakers will say have taken it or actors who have become filmmakers made that transition because they're like there ain't nothing here for us and what we are given is outside of the the comfortable operations of our cultures because we're all living in the same society, right? Mm-hmm. We're all speaking English to each other. I always say this. People are going to hear this over and over again, <laughs> but it is so true. We are all speaking English. We are not speaking the same language. And when you come from the dominant hierarchy, the dominant culture, you think all of that is normal. It's unlearning everything you thought you knew that word again right unlearning Mm -hmm. unlearn everything you thought you knew and start to think like other people so that you can incorporate that whole rich area of knowledges plural from any number of cultures and people Mm -hmm. yeah it is access but it's also racism it's also a lack of representation it's also bastardized representation it's feeling alienated it's feeling bullied it's feeling like you know oh my i have to go out into the world now every day and know what the onslaught of like overt and covert abuse i'm gonna take and not just it, uh, reflected at me or inflicted on me. It's what then I see happening all around me. And like, Lord, that's a really exhausting existence. Mm-hmm. Who the hell has time for some musical theater mm-hmm. yeah. program yeah. if the person who's coordinating it isn't taking care of that child that we want to come in? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. There's something really interesting when people spin it and be like, well, what about looking inward and looking and like and treating it as a problem like an issue of like mindfulness and and a perspective that they're not having it's a really when people don't realize that how privileged you are to go to therapy and 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 (laughs) go to yoga and be mindful like that's a privilege Mm -hmm. to even be able to start doing that internal work you need the basic necessities of like food and shelter before you get to dance class (laughs) you know what i mean like of course But I also wanted to touch on something that you were saying uh, earlier about you come into a community that doesn't necessarily want what you have to sell. Now, you you describe your family as kind of like the Von Trapp or what family and whatnot. (laughs) How much, uh, because I've been in community, I've done work with, um, I was in a school where there's a high indigenous population and they were teaching uh, death of a salesman. The, you know, middle America, uh, American dream, anti-capitalist of whatever, of like, 
of Arthur Miller is gonna, that's gonna speak to these kids? No. Well, it could have if it was done smartly, but it sounds like it wasn't. <laughs> it sounds like they just took that script and... Yeah, and of course, yeah, you're gonna find, the there's kids. themes that you can pull from and do... Yeah, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, but there's a little bit of, like, find what actually connects to this community or listen to what they actually want. Do the people that have, have programmed that, do they even know what they want from it? Like, sure, you can use any medium. You can use any play. You can use any medium. You can use any genre. You can use any of it. If it is intentional, if you know what your goal is, I'm sure that there was, like you said, there are some themes there that could have been used. I'm sure that there is language that is used in the play that's not used in the everyday vernacular. And so let's dissect this and connect to this. But that clearly was not the intention. No. And so anyway, that, that was the, I, what I wanted to segue to also is, Julia, I know you're doing, uh, you talked about co- composition mm-hmm. and creation. I mean, I know a little bit about your work. Do you mind just sharing what you're currently working on? Because uh, I know you're working in indigeneity and musical theater. Wow. Um, <laughs> and I want to hear about your project because this is, to me, one of the big solutions mm-hmm. is it's not create something and then bring it to someone. It's create someone for someone. Well, I I had this idea. I took um I was in the Village Conservatory uh, for music theater, and our project was to it was a creation project, so just anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was kind of struggling with my idea. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted it to to be something important to me, but I just I didn't know what to do. I wanted to write a song. I wanted to um and then uh, I don't know if anyone was in town for this, but we had a we had a magnetic storm, and the northern lights were out in the city and I could see them from my backyard and I had just been talking to my grandmother earlier that week and she was telling me the the legend of the northern lights Um, and she lived in an igloo until she was nine so she has a real she has a lot of stories and a lot of legends that she likes to tell and so when I saw the northern lights I was like I think this is a sign. I was like, I think this is it. I think. Um, so at, at first I thought I wanted to write a song. And then um, when I was thinking about the legend and the story and I had recently, recently joined TikTok um, and just uh, and I had followed a lot of um, composition accounts and people that were writing TikTok musicals, um, which I thought was something that was really cool. And I was like. I don't think that that's something that I could do. So I I wrote a song and it was kind of like a the the main character's big like I I want kind yeah. of song like yeah. I want to get out of this I want to get out of this town I want to have a new life. So I wrote that song, I posted it online and it kind of got a little bit it of blew it up. blew up. <laughs> she's being she modest. She went viral, baby. I believe was there not a Disney account that Yeah. that um, like shared it, shared it or yeah. liked it or whatever what was that? Yeah, um I it was a like a minute long video. I, I posted it, it started getting some traction, people started liking it and then I think uh Disney on Broadway commented on it and said like, like this is really great or something and I I ran downstairs I was like mom you're <laughs> like, not gonna believe it um so yeah and then that kind of like and I'm I was already so excited but that kind of just was like okay like I didn't know if that was something that people would want to see if it was something that they like people would be interested in even though it's something that I'm so interested in telling I'm interested in sharing but that was just like the final little like push like you can do it. Through the Vic, I, I kept working on it some more. I wrote another song, and um, and Paul DeGers was a great help with that and um, working with me on composing that song. And, yeah, I've, I've been working on that uh, ever since, slowly but surely. It's, you know, something I'm 
I'm very excited about and it's a little it's a little scary because then you know I kept posting more and people were like more we want more we want it now and I was like <laughs> trying. Right, I'm trying um but yeah yeah it's something I'm pretty excited about that's amazing I think what's cool is is uh, we talked about this a little bit last time, but it's sort of like people always talk about what do people want? There's always this idea of like when you're marketing for something, there's like a subscriber base and they like shows with this kind of thing and this kind of family and this kind. And it's like what people want is good art. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I saw that the song you posted. I saw the the one that you did at the Vix uh, show. It's what people want. It transcends yeah, it like them, the right? marketing lines of we need this and this and this. No, it's just like. If you do a good show about an, a young indigenous girl, people will eat it up. If it's yeah. a good show, you know what I mean. And yeah. that's and that's. So if you could hurry up and finish that, yeah. So all... Oh no. Yeah, I'm sure. As I think the problem was the fact that you did it on TikTok. <laughs> well, they were. Like, yeah, they yeah. were so confused. Like... They were like, "What's yeah. taking so yeah. long?" Yeah. Like, I was like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> I just don't you it's just only write a mi- it down? It's only a minute long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that there's always something interesting. A little bit of that idea of like tokenism of like. You're this, and I know it's not quite this, yeah. but you're this enough. Yeah. How much do you feel um, that you're, because you, you, I don't know if you know this, you're a visible minority. What? <laughs> I know. Um, but there's something really interesting about like how being a visible minority can inform like the work you do and how you feel about the work you do. Uh, and I, I mean, I'll go ahead and say this. After George Floyd, tr- absolute tragedy. I got a lot more work yeah, yep. 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 because people were a lot more interested. And it's really hard to separate, oh, like I knew that I, I, I know, I, and I'm confident in this, and I'm going to say this confidently, I'm a talented artist. Yes. I know that what I do is is good. Yep. But there's a little bit of me where I'm like, is this? are they asking me to write this thing because of George Floyd and because I look enough like him? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm dark enough. Yeah. Um, or because, you know, they need to check the boxes now because there's a big push. There's always that doubt in the back of my mind of yeah. like, are they, am I a token in this case? Or am I just checking a box? Or did I actually earn this? That's so interesting. And so I just want to ask, like for you, did you have, how much has that, that visible minority, yeah. how does that inform your career at all? I, I definitely have felt that. Um, and a lot of it comes from, it, it usually happens that like I get an opportunity, I get a call back, maybe an opportunity. I tell a friend about it or maybe this isn't a friend. I don't know. I tell yeah. someone about it and they say something like, oh, like, oh, that's so great that they're, you know, looking to diversify. Oh, that's so great mm. that they're, you know, looking to one little tiny voice is like, oh my God, that's the only reason, you yeah. know, yeah. not that I am talented you are, or that it. I worked really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's, and it's, it's really hard to like, to struggle with that because then it, it makes like the wins because like you have a moment of like, oh my gosh, yes, I got the role. But then that voice going like, you only got it because, you know, X and yeah. Like whatever. And like, what are people going to say? Or like, what are people thinking? Like, even if they don't say it, like, I'm just like, I know they're thinking it. Yeah, exactly. It's so hard to like separate that. And what a stressful, because we just gave you so much praise for the rainbow stage role. And also, it, Julia didn't sing on rainbow stage. I barked. Uh, barked. <laughs> but Julia has a phenomenal voice and is a great musician. And there's so much like clear talent there. And and yet even you are still having like those those doubts sometimes. And that's part of kind of what you were saying of like even with the success and even with the wins, what an existence it is to to have that and how exhausting is it to feel even at your most successful that you're still either you don't quite belong or you only belong because yeah. of this thing. 
kind of makes me think because a lot of organizations, like you said, with the work you do and are having, you know, Indigenous fellowships and different, a lot of theater companies are trying to sort of have someone come in to lead them in the right direction. But it's still within the constructs of their colonized space and whether or not they're actually willing to blow it all up and fully decolonize their space. Arts, for the most part, is that's where the anti-capitalist commie lefties, these are the spaces where those people exist. But again, to the to the naked eye, to the conditioned eye, that looks like a very liberal space. It mm-hmm. looks like a very, and it is to an extent. And as someone who is white, but has parents who both have racialized identities and and all kinds of privilege, but then being able to see all of this stuff, you know, to the to to the average liberal person, they're like, oh, those bohemians, those yeah. lesbians, you know, <laughs> those like ah, those hippies or whatever it is, right? But people from purposefully marginalized communities who are Uh, seemingly welcomed into those spaces, maybe in some cases, who are invited in, usually in our in our experience over the last couple years, after crisis, Mm -hmm. it seemingly is like that kind of space. But it is also totally regulated, for lack of a better word, by institutional hierarchy, by institutions that are working within a system that operates to maintain power. And I have found that it it doesn't really matter so much maybe the size of company or how well funded they are. And then there are people who really, really like whole institutions, usually the smaller ones, except for Rainbow. I will give Rainbow the credit it deserves. I have done hours and hours and hours of work with the company and with individuals within the company. But the people really do want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And so, well, what's the solution to that? Total anarchy. No, I'm kidding. Uh, maybe I'm not maybe kidding. Not, though. Um, but it's a very sticky place to be in because then, you know, I wanted, I almost wanted to take control of this interview for a second and yeah. ask you both the question back. And this ties into it perfectly, I think. So you think you have those roles because now it's been, is it because I am good and it's on my own merit? Or is it because, and I do think it is on merit, whether it is tokenization or not, right? They could pick anyone, but they came to you, and that's because you have talent. So it's like, what do you want to do with that? Right. And does it matter if if you are like firm and confirmed to yourself that you are good and you have a voice that other people need to hear and you have a look that other people need to see and you have ideas that need to be in that room then i feel bad for the uh, for the for the trauma or the harm that it might create that's the hand you've been you've been dealt and your gift is being in the room for the next person who thinks that they don't deserve to be there but they see you there and they go i deserve to be here Ray had said something on our last week's episode that was to the effect of change can only happen if you're in the room. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so take that opportunity yes. to be in the room. Yeah. Absolutely. But you have to take care of yourself, though, because we all know what the potential to being in that room is. Totally. Because we were there before they cared if we were there. Yeah. I did a couple workshops with Yvette Nolan. Absolutely wonderful playwright and creator and and I human human yeah <laughs> I love Yvette Nolan 
one of the big things that she talked about was sort of the idea. We always hear the term. I even have like a bit of a knee jerk reaction to decolonize yeah. um, because it's so thrown around. Like it, it's when you when we overuse these words, would they lose the, what their actual meanings mm-hmm. are? Yep. And decolonialism is something that's so, so important. When she talks about decolonization of, of spaces, a big part of it is sort of dismantling hierarchical uh, structures within a rehearsal space. And this is one thing that I've been really, really fascinated by. I try to emulate whenever I have the privilege to be in charge of a rehearsal space. It's talking about like the difference in her community of when she's doing specifically uh, work within her indigenous community of like theater creation, but it's a lot more like holistic and there's less of, there's a, not as much a director person in charge as much as it is, it is a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that's really, really important is that when we're talking about that idea of, of decolonization, that within a theater space, there's something really, really uh, off-putting about those spaces, especially yeah. when you come from a background or culture that does not subscribe to that that ideology, that sort of like spatial structure. Is there anything that you can think of that helps companies actually decolonize a rehearsal space? You are making the people in that room safer by doing that, and you're modeling the behavior and the and the type of uh, organization that you want other people to have their minds open to and go out and emulate in the world. Yes, okay, so all that hits mm-hmm. the mark perfect. Um, and who am I to say it does or doesn't? In in my opinion, I just right, agree, and I yeah, like yeah. it. Okay, um, but how can that space actually be decolonized? when it's within an institution that mm-hmm. is still running business as usual. That is not to discount that these theater organizations, these theater companies are not doing work. They are. They're all doing great work. Mm-hmm. Some were already further ahead to begin with because that's just what the core of that that company was. And then there are other kind of bigger ones or ones geared to different community, uh, you know, demographics or different communities that have more work to do, have different work to do. But the issue with the word decolonization is that if you are not practicing it in all of its collective meaning and form, that ain't what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're doing something and it's a good something. But it's not. But it's not decolonizing. It's not. And in order to be decolonial, you have to divest from colonial power. And what does that take? Political action. Continuous, collaborative, inventive, continuous effort. It's, it's difficult. It's a hard process. It's a learning process. People feel daunted by learning. Mm-hmm. Like all of this decolonizing, anti-racism, social justice work and advocacy, that takes continuous ongoing education at your own gumption. Yeah. yeah. Right? right? A lot of it is working out their uncomfortable feelings. And then they can come to their own decisions about how they want to step move forward with this kind of work. So if the pendulum is all the way up here and it seems unfair for everyone, and I've been asked that, don't you think it's swinging a bit far the other way for the last 20 minutes (laughs) compared to the last thousand years? Okay, if that's how you feel, because yes, it does. Anything that has been held up this far for so long has to swing all the way back. But that, that bites all of us. And we have to understand what our roles are then to help bring that back into balance. And there's mistakes made along the way. Like I know when when it comes, when it comes to, uh, land acknowledgement. I know 
Uh, I read the story maybe a couple of years ago, but uh, Hayden King, uh, yeah. the gentleman who wrote the, the land acknowledgement for Ryerson University. Regrets it. Regrets it. <laughs> but at it. the time was like, oh, this seems like a really good idea. And, and it I'm, was coming from a cultural it, place. Exactly. Yeah. But then since regrets it. And I think there's something really interesting about was it a mistake at the time? Probably not. It's the idea like when land acknowledgement started. Probably a lot of indigenous people who might look at that and are like, we're being acknowledged. Yes. That's yep. huge. Yeah. But it's not the end goal. I was kind of um, really excited about when you had mentioned uh, the legend of the Northern Lights. Mm-hmm. Um, one, do you mind going into this legend at all? Do you mind sharing that? It's not a very long legend, but basically, and I, I, I know this legend is present in other cultures as well, but this is the one that I was told, is that um, if you go out on the land and you whistle at the Northern Lights, then they will come down and they will bring you up with them. So, some, some say that they will bring you up with them, which is what I am going to be. Yeah. And some say that they'll bring you up. It, I don't know, it gets a little gory. Cut off your head. <laughs> what lore isn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut off your head and then uh, there's spirits in the Northern Lights and they'll play soccer with it. Oh, that's um, a good one. So, yeah, that's really but if, um, if, if you whistle at the Northern Lights and you see them come down at you, you can um, rub your nails together like this and they'll go back up into the sky. So oh, don't yeah. don't worry. It happens to you at home. Yeah, Just, you have a. You're, you heard it here first. Um, yeah. That's great. Yeah, and then they go back up into the sky. That's awesome. The reason why I was asking specifically is there's such a we always learn like the either Greco-Roman you know myth or like mm. the um, the very westernized version of something, and there's a lot of like sacred tradition within indigenous cultures. Like storytelling is such a massive part of in any indigenous community or culture that I've I've you know spoken with uh, representatives of or people who are within that mm-hmm. culture, they have all these incredible stories that have very very different morality yeah. Yeah. compared to the ones that we learn. I, I that goes from like. This is a thing about respecting your family or caring for your family or caring for the land and the environment compared to Zeus came down was a swan. And, <laughs> and if you tricked don't, everyone. yeah, yeah everyone, if you don't know the rest of that story, it's maybe too yeah, vile. For, but, but, like, he was a trickster. Yeah. Oh, we'll say. <laughs> um, I, I do want to say that the thing that I noticed is in general, there was something a little bit more applicable or palatable to me in this modern world than talking about somebody who fought a battle with a lion and then blah, blah, blah. Like, you know what I mean? I would just want to hear, or I just want to know in, in general, like, if there was more cross-section between theater and indigeneity, especially in storytelling, is what would you, what would that look like to you? And what does that look like to you? I mean, I guess what excited me about hearing that story and is just the fact that, you know, I got to connect in such like an authentic way with my grandma. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's so many different stories that are told, but I felt like this one was, you know, she it was told to me and it was probably told to her by her mom, her Mm -hmm. grandma. And I felt like it's one that I could tell. And it's in in an authentic way. I hope that that does come to fruition because I want to see how they we would conceptualize. Yeah, so man. Like, yeah, that I really so cool. do. Thank you. Um, <laughs> one explanation could be because we have our own storytelling yeah. style and dance and mm-hmm. ways to showcase demo and party. 
Métis storytelling is a, a huge passion of mine and dance and it's combined and I grew up with storytelling and there is like a 400 year old story from my family that we keep passing down. That's incredible. Um, but this really rich storytelling style that is quintessential of our culture where we've taken sort of the French I don't know if trope is the tropes is the right word, but there's a certain way that the French tell a story and how sure. the story mm-hmm. unfolds. And there are certain characters. Well, yeah, yeah, the yeah. structure. There's certain characters in the story. They follow a certain way and, and this is the end and there's morality within it. And then um, then they've also taken from from Cree cultures or Inu culture way back in the day. And then taking that, you know, part of the indigenous storytelling and the different type of morality, things that are important to those communities to come out in the story and just mash those together into like a perfect specimen of a story. And so we have those, like we have storytelling circles. We, you know, like I said, my mom took us on the road. She was anti telling stories and she's like, all right, dance, go (laughs) monkeys, let's do this. (laughs) And like showcase our our culture and live it authentically. And those are real stories. It's a real storytelling tradition. We are already doing that any family party we have. There have been Native people everywhere. There was like one or two in the mainstream on the main stage. But there always has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There always has been. Yeah, and stories have existed for a long I I think the thing is, even in that mainstream, quote unquote mainstream, like theater, that really colonial theater space, like Thompson Highway is a good example of here's someone who's written time and time again mm-hmm. really wonderful plays. Yep. That have gotten like their productions critical acclaim, at, yeah, yes. critical acclaim. Edinburgh Fringe Festival, yes, yeah, 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 and like their productions everywhere around yep. the world, wherever. And there's elements of music in there because I think often because it, it's such a an important part of the culture, um, yep. as music often is, and dance and things like that are always in there. But there's it just the musical theater specifically yeah. side of it. It just feels like why did we stop there if we got inched this far you know what i mean because it's formulaic it's in a certain way and it doesn't mesh Mesh with with totally the tradition whereas theater you can you know any form really right like there's no there's no there's some but very clearly exactly it can be married like very clearly you can create specifically musical theater genre type Mm -hmm. art so there are indigenous artists that are like oh we can take up that space like yeah. our stories and the way we want to tell it is valid the the, the other side to that though always because there's always another yeah, side of course is that are we to create for ourselves or are we there to perform yeah. for the regular audience yes that's right? always such a tricky one especially what kind of stories do they want us to write what yes. kind of songs do they want us to craft well what when mean? i was yeah when i was talking about cory payette like a lot of them are trauma-informed stories about like Which residential valid? school. Of course valid. they're valid. Yes. But that's not all the only that's thing. out there. Yeah. And that's yes. I, we talked about this last week too of like people of color are they have trauma. Yeah. Yeah, that's inherent in in our world. But we're more than just the traumatic stuff. We're those yeah. beautiful stories with the northern lights and the you yeah. know want to get out and and uh, make something or mm-hmm. whatever. We're the random stories where it doesn't matter that the person is whatever color or or mm-hmm. culture or whatever it is. It of can their inform culture. the way that of they course, live and it can, their life. Of course, but, but it doesn't have to be about that in in a, such a like trauma informed like way. Uh, and so I think that that's it is. What are the stories that people yeah. want to hear? And mm-hmm. I I think it's tricky too because right now coming out of the last couple of years and all of the the it seems like in a way that 
that's the reason you know we're seeing a lot more of these uh, traumatic shows yeah. i think it's as a way for people to for the most part inform themselves and 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 the start of learning and and bettering their journey to whatever it is that they are trying to do um but it it could also sort of be to make themselves feel a little better because they they went and saw the trauma show yeah. from this culture. Maybe it's about our joy too. And like we said, getting hired, does it matter why they hired you? Yeah. Except that well it does if it affects you in a negative way. That's not what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But for their purposes, does that matter? Yeah. Because you're allowed to have joy. You're allowed to mm-hmm. use those opportunities to experience joy and express yourself and share your art and share your voice and kind of over uh, covertly fit stuff in there that you mm-hmm. feel you need to when you have yeah. to say it you know like we're allowed to have joy just yes. for the sake of creating and having joy and i think that's what i'm desperate for is just stories of joy and i think people do want to see that like a story of joy and and of culture and of tradition yeah. that doesn't revolve around pain or maybe it's just like personal pain rather than cultural pain that could yeah. be really beautiful which is informed by cultural pain yes. uh, uh, or cultural yeah. all the time i yeah. totally hear what you're saying and even if there is pain in a story because mm-hmm. first of all that's just life and secondly but just being able to create the thing mm-hmm. is personal joy, mm-hmm. team joy, community joy, even if there's sadness, even if there's trauma in it. It's when we're expected to perform, perform as in performative, like, yes. like I'm a trained seal doing it for you. Yes. You don't get to dictate what stories I tell. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What excites me about this conversation is that in because we got to some heavier parts, but what makes me excited is like having creators out there who are going to tell stories that seemingly are informed from of like joy and the connection that you had with your grandmother, which I think is so special and this like familial. I don't know why I almost tradition. started crying. I know. <laughs> hold, hold, hold it together. Um, so yeah. It's happening. Because <laughs> um, grandmas are powerful. Oh, yeah. They are. Yeah. And then people like you, Sarah, who are out there very candidly, uh, very intentionally, and not for nothing very brilliantly that's really what i mean you're talking about me yeah i am (laughs) and there are some people in this world uh where you listen to them talk and you are like i'm in good hands and i feel like you're one of those people yeah you're a person where i i see and i'm i very much feel like we're in good hands Mm -hmm. if you're out there doing the work and of course is that work going to be like night and day changing like you know what i mean from in 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 a day no of course not like it can't be you said it's a slow moving tank yeah mm-hmm. but i th- i think with you at the helm of that tank <laughs> <laughs> you like Please that imagery yeah. because you pulled back from the military and- <laughs> i got a very good clear yeah yeah there. thank you but i think that maybe it's going somewhere instead of just rolling or standing still i just want to help people chip away at, at anything it is that we need to do to just keep moving the tank forward, yeah. you know? Yeah. Last question. That we ask every guest, and that is, was your, what is your favorite thing going on in theater? Are you drunk? Was that- <laughs> <laughs> She's over What happened? <laughs> well, I want you to tell me something. And could you please speak it to me? And could you tell me 
<laughs> way I like about theater. I thought you were going to ask Pepsi or Coke. Yeah. Right? Final, <laughs> this is a good question. No, typically it is. Yeah. What is the most exciting thing or that you think is happening right now in theater? It could be like uh, this thing. Whatever is happening. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not you. She's not a <laughs> thing. <laughs> not your person. Not your person. The pro. The project. That's yeah. interesting. And Julia. I guess just um, me. <laughs> for me, uh, it's it's just become such like a more like I got interested in it through TikTok and social media, and that's how a lot of young people are getting interested in that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's it's really cool to see it expanding, and there's you know the walls are getting pushed no. down, yeah. and yeah. you know people are breaking out of boxes, and I think that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. I, awesome. I, I I agree. There are spaces opening up for people of color, indigenous people to create the best like cohabiting world that we can live in is one that's uh, symbiotic. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the best word I can mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. or mutually beneficial, whatever it is that because we have to and it's better when we do coexist as different cultures and, and everything like the best kind of world that we can live in, in my opinion, and the most maybe educational and the most full uh, world that we can live in is one that is mutually beneficial for all these groups where we're pulling from, oh, here are these wonderful stories from this culture. Like they, they're both aesthetically pleasing. They're wonderful to hear. They're super entertaining. And they tell us about this uh, issue in sustainability that we need to address. So it does all that. And here's this from this culture that does this same thing and this culture. And that's where we get, like, ultimately the best world, in my opinion. It's utopian, again. Uh, maybe it's naive to think that we'll get there uh, in our lifetimes. But get on the tank. But, we're yeah. getting, but let's all hop on the tank. Yeah. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm hopping on the tank. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, before we go, uh, are there any plugs, final things that people want to... Uh, shout out. No, I'm working on a thing, but I can't yeah. talk about it. <laughs> cool. We talked. I think we talked about my thing. Yeah, mention get get the name, name out there. Name one more time. it. Oh, it's, does it have a name? I don't want to put you. It on the does. Spot. Um, it's called Akak. It's A Q Q A Q, and it means Northern Lights. Oh, very cool, beautiful, lovely. My TikTok is Julia Ulayuk, which is U L A Y O K, and that's the same for my Instagram post all my songs on there cool and she'll walk like 10 minutes later and there'll be all these likes for me like, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I thought you were gonna like be ambitious and be like all of our followers and our the subscribers to the podcast <laughs> no, no. <laughs> blow it up the next thing like, no no me uh care anything anything going on rainbow speaks is also an mtyp uh fan podcast uh, in a way yeah in a way we've sort of become um, that. a great theater that is uh doing great work um and they are starting up their native youth theater classes uh next week mm-hmm. so if you have a young person in your life who wants to be in theater and and explore indigeneity in theater Native Youth Theater at MTYP. Additionally, After School Leaders Program at MTYP uh, has their program starting up. I'm only saying this because I got an email. I'm a drama teacher, so <laughs> just, like sign your kids up. Uh, but it's a free musical theater program called Showstoppers there as well. Uh, I think that's it. I think we just spoke. Have a little bit of optimism Like a rainbow through a small glass prism We want to search, we want to look To listen, to see what we find Sure, we've got a lot of old 
traditions But we're interested in your new renditions Help us understand what we've been missing For all of this time Rainbow Speaks Rainbow Speaks Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Rainbow Speaks. Our hosts are Quinn and Kara Joseph, and today's special guests were Seraph Eden Boroditsky and Julia Davis. For the Digital Studio, I'm Daphne Finlayson, your Technical Creative Director, and our Content Creative Director is Duchess Cayetano. Music for the show is provided by Duncan Cox. This podcast was recorded and produced on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional home of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. We gratefully acknowledge the support of the Canada Council for the Arts in making this podcast possible. Thank you so much. Rainbow.